you know, when I saw the question about meeting your maker, my first thought was, well, I talk to my parents on a weekly basis. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to the Story Geeks podcast, produced by the Reclamation Society. Blade Runner, we talked about this already, but it's an iconic movie for a lot of different reasons. But one of the reasons is that it is a brilliant example of dystopian science fiction. And so I'm wondering, you know, why do we find dystopian science fiction so popular? What makes us create it? And why do we enjoy it? I don't pretend to be an expert on dystopian or post-apocalyptic, because I think that's what it used to be called in my day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Fiction. I I do wonder, because I don't, I can't think a lot that there was, I can't think of a lot of instances of this kind of story um, prior to the atom bomb. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if as a human race, if once, you know, Hiroshima happened, if we all went, Oh crap. Like, like we yeah, went, yeah. we can, we can all, there could be a catastrophe that we make ourselves that could take out everything. Um, I mean, certainly we've all been aware. And since then we've all been aware of things like asteroids or, you know, not taking care of the earth or some sort of virus, you know, or zombies or whatnot. Um, but I, I don't think it was until that point. And certainly I know that in my experience in the 80s, when this movie was made, there was a huge concern about nuclear holocaust, mm. a nuclear war, and uh, the likes of which I haven't seen until unfortunately recently. Um but in the 80s, we were, I mean, we were terrified of it. And, and in some cases, we were able to spin it so that it looked cool, like uh, Mad Max, right? Uh-huh. Um, or, or in this movie where it looks, you know, where they don't say in the movie, I don't think they say, I think in the books, it's, it's, it's a post-apocalyptic war. Um, there was a nuclear war. I'm not sure in the movie that they, that they say that. I mean, it's obvious that most people want to go off world, right? Only the the worst of the worst, the poor of the poor live on earth. Um, and uh, that's kind of an interesting thing on to itself. But I do think there's one of two things. One, I think we like the idea of exploring that the horror elements of that scenario, whether it be, you know, like the movies in the seventies that Irwin Allen was making earthquake or title, like those movies where they were destruction movies, right. Where it's just kind of interesting to see people deal with that kind of destruction and whether or not they could survive. Mm. Um, and what would life be like, uh, after that? And, you know, I think there's a percentage of people that would love to have a reboot button, uh, to say, hey, this is, you know, maybe the life would be cooler after we kind of get out all of our anxieties, like in some sort of catastrophic way. Um, or, um, you know, I, I think it's just a, it's just cool to think, you know what, there's a future for us. We can survive it. And uh, even in doing so, things don't look so bad. Um, so yeah, I think that's why I think that's, you know, obviously it's created because it's, 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 it's interesting discussion to, uh, think about these things, whether they're the zombie apocalypse or whether it's an earthquake or 
I think the new the new one that's coming out is it a Michael Bay one about the weather thing going under control? Like they're like <laughs> yeah the um, and I think uh, obviously the um, uh, who is the team that I'm thinking of though the ones that do like that specialize in Roland this. and Emmerich. Thank you. Yes, uh, they are the this generation guys. Yes, they are this generation's Irwin Allen, right? Like they are they they're making movies about disaster. They're making disaster movies. Yeah, and um, yeah, we don't know what this is. You know, it, I just find it interesting that uh, that yeah, that that's what the case was, and this was all the rage like back in the eighties. Like there was so like almost every futuristic movie book that I touched, like basically said there's gonna be a nuclear war, mm. and we will survive, but we're it's it's gonna get worse before it gets better. Ah, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, even Star Trek predicted that in the 90s there would be a genetics nuclear war, you know, a genetic oh, wow. war like that. That's where Khan came from, you know. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a there's there's a yeah. So even in the most optimistic future that's portrayed, which is Star Trek, they they did say, "Yeah, we're going to have a war and we're going to blow everything up first." That's a really good point. What do you think, Daryl? I think one of the appeals of this kind of storytelling is it gives you a context in which you can tell different kinds of stories. Like if I were to come to you and say, I have this idea for a story where we're going to go around to families in Orange County, Mm -hmm. you know, in Anaheim and Santa Ana and Newport Beach, and we're going to take one teenager from each of those families, and then we're going to take them to Anaheim Stadium. We're going to give them guns. And we're going to see which one of them lasts the longest. <laughs> that's games. horrific. Like, yeah. that's terrible. Why would you write a story about that? <laughs> but put it in a post-apocalyptic world, put it in a dystopian future, put it in the world of the Hunger Games, and it's fine. I mean, it's not supposed to be fine. Obviously, right, it's right. supposed to be bad there, too. But it makes for a story that people don't sit back and go like, oh, my gosh, that's horrifying. Why would I ever watch that? Mm. You know? Mm. So it gives you this context of desperation or like like Mike was saying, like, well, we've already been through the worst of it, so we've lost some of those anxieties and things like that. It just gives you a whole new context to tell stories in. Right. Which I think is part of what makes it fun and interesting. It gives you an it gives you a chance to glimpse into the future and maybe terrible futures that we have to overcome are just more interesting than like utopian futures that everything's just beautiful and wonderful and even when we have stories about that yeah there's usually some sort of secret evil underneath the utopia Almost always yeah you know <laughs> it's true but i think ultimately what's most satisfying about stories like that is is our is watching our ability to overcome the mm. hope of rising above mm. circumstances and surroundings and you know, whatever it may be, faith, the human spirit, whatever it is that helps you rise above it. But just the idea that we're not slave to what's going on around us, no matter how bad it is, right. there's always hope to get beyond it. Yeah, I like that. I like, I like what both of you guys said. I think, and I'm not, I'm certainly not an expert in dystopian science fiction either. Um, but as a writer, I've mentioned this book before, but I think it's a fantastic book. If you're a writer, and even if you're not a writer, um, in fact, Anthony Holdier from the uh, Story Culture podcast asked me about this book because he wanted to read it. Um, but Lisa Kron's Wired for Story shows us that neurological research 
has determined that human beings are wired, our brains are wired to understand and interpret the world around us through storytelling. And I think that dystopian science fiction for me, when I look at it in that context, is very similar to what you guys are already talking about in terms of it serves as a warning of what could become if we don't remind ourselves of what's important to us. And I also think, like I mentioned before, because of the fact that we see cyclical patterns in the way that the world has worked, that sets us up to see the future of the world in a very troubling setting, right? Like, cause we've seen societies like 1930s and 40s Germany. We've seen communist Russia. We've seen North Korea right now. We are right now seeing this kind of dystopian-esque society. It's not fake. It's not fake. We, what we're doing is we're asking ourselves as a people group, as a cu culture, as a country, we're asking ourselves, what would it look like if we became that? Yeah. And I think that's what we're, what we're exploring. And so to me, um, I think dystopian science fiction encourage us to encourages us to explore the concepts of morality, of moral goodness or moral decline in ways that we might not be thinking about right now. Um, and I think that's a really valuable thing because one of the things that I think that this movie is promoting is it asks us to consider what is human. I think it's asking us to consider again, the golden rule, treat others how you would want to be treated. Now it's asking us to, to consider that in the context of replicants and humans, which is a really fascinating argument, right? But it's still, I think it's, it's, it's telling us to look at this. It's a reminder of the importance of making sure that our systemic structures also implement the golden rule. And that the systemic structure doesn't necessarily start to say, well, we're going to benefit this one group instead of this other group because we don't think that the other group is as valuable or we don't think that the other group needs to have what we need to have. So therefore, we're just going to just going to change that. Um, and I think that promotes things like having restraints and laws and having uh, checks and balances like our government actually does have, right? Um, we have the ability to shut down corporations like the Tyrell Corporation. We have the ability to say that, that what they're doing is illegal and then say like, we don't want that to happen anymore. And I think that's kind of cool because I think corruption will exist inside of every system that we build. And so how do we, how do we you know, deal with that? And I think dystopian science fiction explores that corruption from a systemic viewpoint. So I really like it from that perspective. And I think it's a, it's a really valuable tool for us to make, help us make decisions about our day-to-day -day lives or about the systems that we're building to support our day-to-day -day lives. So um, pretty valuable from that point of view. Now, my question six is the most bizarre question on here. Um, so <laughs> I'm just gonna acknowledge that outright. <laughs> Daryl will answer it first, um, but it just struck me because there's not a lot of um, spirituality in this film, and we do like to, on the Story Geeks podcast, not only talk about how the story impacts us from a cultural perspective, like we just talked about with dystopian science fiction, but also look at it from a spiritual perspective. The film just doesn't really go there that much. Um, I mean, I think Roy has a throwaway line where he says six or seven go to hell or heaven or something along those lines. He says that at some point in time. The, another point in the movie, uh, Roy, um, just as a reminder, he's the leader of the outlaw replicants. He meets Tyrell and he says to Tyrell, the replicant creator, it's quite a thing to meet your maker. Um, of course, then he goes on to uh, <laughs> destroy him. But um, 
do you think so my first question is do you think that we as human beings have a maker so you can answer that question as a yes or a no but if so or if not um i guess if so what of what would be important for you in your experience in meeting that maker so daryl you have the you have the <laughs> the unfortunate um first answer to this question this is not a hard question for me actually okay i'm fine with this question so um my worldview is a christian worldview i'm a christ follower so Yes, I definitely believe I have a maker. I believe that God created me. Mm-hmm. So I believe that God is my maker. And not only have I thought about what meeting God in person would be like, mm-hmm. my whole worldview is built on the hope that that's coming, <laughs> that sure. I get to meet him and spend eternity with him. But um, I was trying to kind of break it down on because it's so... It's so unknown. Like, we just don't know what life looks like beyond this earth and this human existence, you know? So yeah. it's it's all imagination, I guess. But I it actually made me think of, in a weird way, Christmas. So, mm-hmm. you know, as right now the Christmas season is starting, and, and as we record this, it's coming, it's getting close. And so I think of Advent, and I think of, you know, the four candles that you light in the Advent season and the four concepts of Advent. So, so hope, love, peace, and joy. Sure. And those are sort of the four things that I think about that my worldview sort of affords me the ability to experience outside of my circumstances. Mm -hmm. So no matter what's happening to me, I can still have hope. Okay. You know, no matter how broken relationships may be or how many arguments I'm having with people, there's still love. Right. And no matter how angry or sad I get, I can still experience joy at its deepest level. And um, I believe that God will give me access to peace no matter how chaotic my life may be. So I think of those four things as being beyond this world. Sure. Um, there are others too, but those are the ones that I kind of think of. And so for me, when I think of meeting God in person, being face to face, I think of experiencing those four things in all of their fullness. Yeah. So perfect love, perfect hope, perfect peace, perfect joy mm. beyond the things in life that would seem to try and get in the way of those things. Right. So that's kind of what comes to my mind. Very nice. What about you, Mike? Wow. Um, yes. Well, um, I am uh, um, not. Um, I'm not there. <laughs> uh, when when my you know when I saw the question about meeting your maker, my first thought was, well, I talk to my parents on a weekly basis. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we have a great relationship, so I'm I'm thankful for that. As far as any of the bigger questions goes. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still processing a lot of that, um, very open to all sorts of ideas, uh, that I've explored in my, in my life. And, uh, but the main thing that I was kind of surprised that Roy doesn't, well, I mean, he kind of broaches it a little bit, but, um, I think the main question that I would want sort of an answer to 
a resolution of is why, right? Like, mm-hmm. why was I created? Why was I created? Mm-hmm. You know, and and, I, and then then there's a bunch of questions that you know, depending on the answer, you know, falls from that. Like, did I live up to? Did I do what I was supposed to do? Like, but whatever my purpose was, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, and in in a lot of ways, it's a it's a question that we you know sort of tackle every day. Um, not to the point where you can't do anything, but still, like, okay, you know, am I doing the right thing here? Um, like, why was I? Why am I here? Why are we going through this? And it's in a later scene. That's one of my favorite um, lines of the movie that I, I understand was not in the original script, but it was something that um, was made up on as they were filming the scene. But um, by Rutger Hauer uh, is when he's confronted. He's he's talking to Deckard at the end, and he says, "I've seen things you people can't even imagine." Mm. Like, you humans can't even imagine the things that I've seen. And yet, all of that is going to be gone. Mm. And he says, like, tears and rain. Mm. So, like, what's the reason? Like, why did I go through all that? Like, and it's such a shame that I got to experience all this, and there's no one, like, to share it with. And then in, in, at the end, he is sharing it with someone. Mm. At least the idea of it. And, and so, I don't know if this this movie if that's the answer that this movie kind of offers is that the whole purpose of life is to share it with people mm-hmm. um certainly the fact that deckert runs off with rachel at the end could be considered you know that an, a, an answer to that um but um i i that's that's sort of like you know if, if obviously on his mind because of the impending termination his main focus is what can you do to make me live longer? Right. Um, and uh, and so that's his immediate concern. But I think overall, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, in this life or, or afterwards, you know, and you get confronted with your maker, you know, the question is, like, what was that all about? Like, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. did, did I do all right? Like, you know, I don't really know what, what the thing was. Like, I kind of tried to do what I was supposed to. But, you know, like that... That that sort of I think is the big question that I think and the the big concern that would be on my mind as far if that scenario ever happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like it's that. interesting too because, um, it speaks a lot to the maker. You know, who is the maker? How does the maker behave? Because the big question is if you get to the point where you meet your maker, like mm-hmm. Roy meeting his maker, right? then the question comes up, do you want the opportunity to become the maker yourself? Mm, mm. You know what I mean? Like, do you want to remove the maker so you can be the maker? Right. Or is being the maid or the creation satisfying enough? Right. Do you think he kills him because he just feels that, uh, like, frustrated? Like, it seems like it comes from frustration. Yeah, it doesn't feel like he wants to make more replicants it doesn't feel like he wants that position of status yeah but i just wonder like you know whatever the context may be is if that was a thing if you could achieve that position of status then does that make the ultimate goal of the maid to overcome the maker (laughs) you know well i think it's a i think it's a really good question because i think roy was built to suffer i mean like we didn't we didn't create replicants to to have to go to disney world 
and have fun. We created them <laughs> to go to war, right? So I, I think that to a certain extent, Roy's reaction, because essentially it's like, it's again, it's asking us if we're human or not, right? Like if you imagined Roy actually being human and actually having the feelings and he was created to just to suffer. Yeah. And I think a lot of, a lot of people probably have the same perception, um, especially people who have had really difficult lives. They have the same perception of God, however they define God is, but he's a jerk or he, or she's a jerk. What, right? Like it, like th- if I was just built for this, this is awful. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I read one time I read, or I was listening to, uh, a pastor that I really like. And he said, um, I think the only place that you get the impression that God is good and loving is really in scriptures, scriptures of various sorts, but especially, particularly, uh, the Christian scriptures, because you don't open the newspaper and think, oh, wow, God's great. Mm. Cause you open the newspaper and you see just terrible things happening all the time. And, so it was it was an interesting exercise, and the reason why I even have this question appear on here was because it's such a fascinating thing to see a movie which basically is proposing the question of what does it mean to be human, and then for that entity that we're wondering that about to meet the person who made the entity. Yeah, and there are so many things that Roy that must be going through Roy's mind, and um, and so when I looked at this question. Because my, 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 my very quick response is just very similar to yours, right? Like that I have a belief system wherein I believe some of the same things that you believe. Right, so, right. But I, I thought about that for a second. I thought, well, what would I believe if I believed other things about God, right? Like mm-hmm. what, if I, what if it was – so I think that there's, there's even people who have claimed to be Christ followers. I don't say claimed. Even people who are Christ followers – who have a different perception than I do of what's important, what that means. Yeah. Right. Um, I would think would say, well, I want to get to heaven and I want to be told like you did all of the right things. Like you behaved appropriately (laughs) or I want to get to heaven and and be told like um, that you were of good moral standing. And I, and I think that there's a lot of religions that actually have that same kind of feel to them. So it is like a, well, how good am I doing today? How good am I doing tomorrow? And then, then when I meet the maker, how will he or she tell me that I'm doing a great job? Right. Um, and I just, I was thinking about that in the context of Roy meeting his maker and his maker was actually very impressed by him. I mean, Tyrell was very like, sure very much like I created this thing to be as human as possible and look at it. It's human. It's just human, you know? And of course, what's the human response to that is, but you created me for suffering. You yeah. bastard. You know yeah. what I mean? And he just, like you said, out of frustration and anger, he just kills the dude. Um, so it was a, it was a fascinating conversation in that I had with myself about imagining <laughs> the different ways I could, I could come in contact with the creator. And like, I think you said it, Daryl, like, well, the fact that we can all three have different opinions says we don't know what that's going to be like. Yeah. Um, we've yeah, we've got these books, so like, you know, whatever it is, like 90 Seconds in Heaven, <laughs> where it's like, yeah, you could have just been having a psychedelic trip yeah, because your body is dealing with pain in weird ways. Yeah. But um, so I, but so I don't know that I, I use those things as a guide for me to understand what it's like to die. You yeah. Know? Um, or... I say, I say die. I mean, in this case, Roy hasn't died. He's 
Right. He's meeting this person in real life or in, in actual life. Um, so I do think that for me personally, I'm going to side with Daryl and say, like, I can't wait to feel love. Not for what I did or didn't do here on earth. Not for my moral character, but because um, but because I have been accepted by my creator. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I hope that my experience is like. Right. And so I feel like no matter the worldview, no matter your context, the the goal in most of this stuff is meaning, right? Yeah. Is what is, why am I here? Why was I created? What is this all about? What does this mean? Sure. Which makes absolute sense that Roy would do what he did because he had the opportunity to finally have that question answered for him. Yep. And there was no answer. Yeah. There's, there is no bad meaning. answer if there yeah. is one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, there is no special meaning behind you. Right. You know? Right. Right. And I think, well, and I also think that, you know, I mean, it goes to show, I think that the three of us are truly like, you know, uh, blessed because I do know that there are people that would be like Rory that yes. would, yeah. that are, that do have, you know, bitterness uh, in their, in their heart because of life's events and uh, their attitude about that sort of thing. And they would hold, you know, the maker uh, directly responsible and want uh, retribution. I could easily see that be in a scenario. So even though it, you know, this is an Android that, um, you know, whether or not he's sentient or not, I think in some level people can relate to him that way, even though he's done tremendously horrible things, he and his crew have done really violent and horrible things. He more than the others. Um, I think that there's the film still gives us some some empathy towards him mm-hmm. and some understanding that we can relate to him because in, he's struggling with some questions just the way we all are. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well, thanks for indulging me on that question, <laughs> that bizarre question. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to get really deep into this question right now because I actually kind of want to do an entire episode on this. Um, <laughs> but on this topic, based on only this movie, so we're not going to talk about 2049, which we all three of us have seen. Um, do you think, based on watching this movie, that Deckard is a replicant? Kind of simple yes or no with a couple of thoughts behind it. And we'll move on. But I want to address it because a lot of people listening will be like, well, what do they think? You know, what do you think, Mike? Well, as I alluded to previously, uh, I think earlier in the discussion, I I just don't think it works for me if he's a replicant. Um, I I think um, and I know that there's evidence to suggest that he's a replicant. And even the director's cut more so, I think Ridley Scott has said that that he went into this with um, the idea that he was a replicant. Um, but others who have, um, uh, like, for example, Harrison Ford said he didn't play it as if he was a, a replicant. So he never felt that he was. Um, and I just think logically, even though there, there's some instances where you could say, well, he is because of this, this, and this, I think there's just as many instances where you could say, well, if he is a replicant, why isn't he stronger? Why, if, he's, if his job is to take out other replicants, why is he so weak? Mm. Um, because he really gets his ass kicked. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and and um, 
but just the beauty of like for example the the final battle and where um uh you know Roy is fighting off his his termination so he you know he takes a, a rusty nail and kind of tries to get gears going by uh like uh, stabbing his hand mm-hmm. um and on the you know on the other hand on the human side and I'm going to call him human you know you've got Deckard who's got his fingers broke by Roy and he's trying to fix them by you know by absolutely excruciatingly like set them back into place and so they're both going through like these similar pains and I just love the the parallels there and for me it, it just takes something out of it if he's if he's human, so I, I definitely on the on the uh, uh, I'm sorry, it takes something away from me if he's not human, um, because I'm definitely on the side that Deckard is is human. What about you, Daryl? More human than human. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm on the other side. Oh really? I, for, well, first let me say I don't want to know. Okay. I'll say that first. All right. Which is I'm a little surprised by that because I know when we were going to see 2049. We were excited because we thought we would find out. Yes. Like, we thought it was going to tell us that. Right, right, right. Um, But as I think about it more, I don't want to know because I think the story, the intricacies of the story and the questions that it's asking are even more provocative if we don't know. Hmm. But if I had to choose, I would actually come from the other side. I would say that I think I like the story better if he is a replicant because you're asking all these questions about what is humanity, right? you know, and for me, when you take, if he's a replicant and then suddenly you're looking at it in the context of, well, now you have all of these, they're all machines and they're all struggling to achieve some level of humanity. And now there's different levels, like what makes Deckard more human than Roy. And so I think there's some really interesting questions in there. If you remove him being human, Hmm. Um, not necessarily better questions, just different questions. And I just think for me, and I know you said not to get into 2049, but that's, (laughs) I'm not going to say anything about it, but that's partially what informs this decision is to me, his whole arc between the two movies for me is more interesting if he is a replicant. Okay. I'm definitely team Mike on this one. Yeah, I know um, you are. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, we'll have to have a whole issue where we talk about this. But um, just well, see, just, that's the problem. I don't have a whole lot to support my theory. <laughs> it's just oh. what I like. Well, I don't know. There's <laughs> there, there's a lot of stuff out there. I know that uh, you know. I've talked to many people, and the 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 evidence that he is is really sometimes it seems almost insurmountable. I act, I mean, I actually heard Ridley Scott say verbally in an interview that. In his mind, 2049 makes no sense if Deckard is not a replicant. <laughs> Which is crazy to me. Yeah. I also I yeah. also heard them talk about it. This is an Empire podcast, yeah, probably. Empire. That's why I was listening to that, too. And literally, Harrison Ford and uh, Ridley Scott had a giant fight about it, wherein Harrison Ford <laughs> right. left the restaurant. Like, yeah. He was like, I'm out of here because I'm so <laughs> pissed about this. So I'm team Harrison Ford slash team Mike. Um, and what I, if there's so much brilliance to it that... Harrison Ford was led to believe that he was playing a human when he was really a replicant. I mean, yes. what if, if Harrison Ford is a replicant? Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yes. Actually, he might be. If he survives another plane crash, he is definitely something. Um, no, so 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 here's my thing, right? I, I believe that if Harrison Ford 
So I'm taking the writer's viewpoint here. If Harrison Ford is a replicant, then we do not have two themes we're exploring anymore because we're not really exploring what it's like to be human. That's not what we're doing. We're exploring um, really more of the plot, which is, again, are these robots human enough? And that takes a lot of meaning out of it for me because I'm viewing this story through Harrison Ford's eyes. I'm going through this experience as Harrison Ford goes through the experience. I'm, I'm looking at the replicants and going, could I fall in love with the replicant? We've seen that movie before too, by the way. Uh, I've not seen her, but I know that that's about that kind of situation. Yeah. So for me, if you make Harrison Ford a replicant, it doesn't say that anymore. It says like, oh yeah, replicants can fall in love with replicants. Like replicants can, you know, like hang out with other replicants and like think that they're cool. Like, to me, that just takes a lot of it out of it for me. It turns into love beeps. <laughs> That's probably the only time that movie will ever be mentioned in the Story Geeks history. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Until we do our special on it or something. So anyways, that's that's what I would say. I think that there's, uh, um, even if, I, I do like that the fact that they haven't actually come to a conclusion on it, because yeah. I think it's better that it's the, that we are able to draw our own meaning from it um, than it being force-fed to us. But that's yeah. kind of Well, I do say that it's a little bit frustrating that we don't have a definitive answer um, in some ways. I do have to acknowledge both filmmakers uh, of Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049 for keeping the discussion going so that it, it's open-ended and there's enough evidence for both camps. And so you have like two different sides that still can enjoy it. I, that's, that's not easy to do. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And they did a really good job of that. Probably because Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott were fighting over it. Um, <laughs> all right. Last question we have on here. Um, and this question is going to start with you, Daryl. The central theme of this film explores the question of what it means to be human. And again, that's just my take on it. Someone else can say that, that actually there's a different theme, but that's mm -hmm. my theme. I'm going to turn this question over to us. What does it mean to be human? How would you define what it means to be human? And what differentiates humans both from other non-sentient beings and sentient beings and creatures and what what is it what is it that that makes us different i think um you know we talked a lot about emotionality and complex reasoning and compassion and morality mm -hmm. and i think if you sort of wrap all this stuff into a big ball and lump it up into one thing i feel like it's love mm. so i feel like the capacity to exhibit and experience and learn from and evolve because of love is a big part of what makes us human hmm. at least you know versus non-human so and i feel like you can see that not even just in machines but also in animals hmm. like animals have instinct but they're sometimes acting out of love goes against instinct right mm -hmm. like that's when you talk about self-sacrifice or that's when you talk about um you know really putting yourself at risk for the sake of another or doing something that could harm you or mess you up because it will benefit somebody else mm -hmm. and it's the same thing when you're talking about like the whole idea of the robots going to war they don't have the ability to reason why this war is taking place mm -hmm. and what 
a real root solution to all of this is like how can i show compassion to the person i'm supposed to be fighting and still end this war right you know how can we solve this another way than just me having to kill them right and i think love is where all of that comes from cool what do you think mike Ooh, this is a tough one um and I'm, I'm glad you saved it for last. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, when it came down to me with um, sort of looking at it as a writer, as a creator, and defining a character, um, as far as uh, I think you have characters that, you know, are not really fleshed out. And so your your job as a creator to, to well, sort of the story, but you want to flesh out the characters and you want to make characters relatable. So therefore, you're trying to make them more human so that humans can, because that's really your audience. I don't know anybody who's writing to robots or, or, <laughs> or, or pigs, for that matter. Um, so you sort of want to write it to, to, to humans. So you're trying to make the characters as human as possible. And in doing so, you add depth to them. For me, the real trick is, um, because, and I see this in a lot of uh, fiction, where you, I think being human being a real human as opposed to being a character in a movie or a TV involves a contradictory nature, but still works. Hmm. Like, like we said earlier about, you know, about how you can, you can love animals, but yet if a fly lands on you, you have no, your first instinct is to kill it, you know? And, and that seems contradictory, which we already have established that robots shouldn't be able to make without true, you know, definitions and in-depth programming could make that distinction they would just view all life as as something that you don't harm so therefore you know uh but we you know there are times when you know i get up in the morning and i feel completely different about certain things than i do before i go to bed mm. so um and when you're writing characters sometimes if you try to use that that contradictory nature um, you fail because people are like, well, I don't buy that because look, he's acting out of character there. Hmm. Um, so it, you really have to stick with what serves the story in a lot of ways. But I think, I think you know that contradictory nature. I don't, I'm not sure if there's a word for this or not, to be honest with you. But this contradictory nature that makes up people, individuals, is what I think is really a definition of of being what it means to be human. Um, because I don't see that aspect in anything else. Hmm. You know, I don't really see that. Obviously, you know, with robots, you can program so you don't have it there. They'll they'll fail if they're contradict if they come across a contradiction in their programming. Um, and I and I don't think you know at this point you know as much as we like to personify animals, I don't think that they have it in their nature to do that as well. I think it's a a, a trait that's that's typical to to our humanity that. Um, you know, and obviously, um, you know, more on the side of love and compassion, because we sort of humanity is sort of linked to that, you know, like for the sake of humanity, you know, it's like that <laughs> that means like, you know, for the sake of compassion, for the sake of love, for the sake of pity, you know, that sort of reaching out that way, I think um, also is an aspect of that. But um, just the very nature that we're so complex uh, that um, I, I think that's that's where we that def that defines us more than anything else that uh, I've been exposed to. Yeah, and I'm. It's so funny because you guys are basically answering like the same way that I did in many, in many regards. <laughs> like my first statement on here is um, the question sort of lies like, like the answer to the question sort of lies in the question itself to a certain degree. 
because like my dog doesn't have a podcast that's asking this question <laughs> right like he's not sitting back being like oh why am i a dog you know like he, he's not he's not asking that question um and neither is my cat I, but she's more likely to <laughs> um so I, there there's there's something about innately about being humans wherein we're searching for things we're asking these bigger questions the the reason why it's so interesting to see roy talk to tyrell is because we feel like we would want to know some of the same questions that Roy probably has for Tyrell. Um, even as we searched for our origin, you know, like, did we evolve? Were we created? Were we created and then we evolved? Um, we search for meaning and purpose. We search for relationships. Um, we search for something better. Uh, we all, we're always searching for something better. Um, so, but I think the most compelling search of all is the one for love it is the one that probably differentiates us more than any other any other creature and you guys have both mentioned it whether compassion empathy love like we have this innate desire to be loved like you said daryl mm -hmm. not in a way that animals tend to want to be sort of like taken care of they want to be their needs to be taken care of but i don't know necessarily know that they want to be loved there is emotion there there's emotion there for sure and i and i think any human being who's owned dogs and cats can tell you that there's emotion in those beings yeah in those creatures but it's not the same it's yeah. not the same that we have um and it's definitely not the same for robots and uh and there's no capacity to act in spite of emotion exactly which i think is where love kind of comes into play also yes exactly exactly mm. Well, that is an hour and 45 minutes on Blade Runner, which I was not expecting to go that long. But hey, if, you, if it's good content, it's good content. Um, I, hopefully I you're enjoying it. I absolutely love that now one of the questions in your Voight comp test is, do you, do you have, do you podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The first question is, yeah, are you a millennial and do you podcast? <laughs> um no, so I really appreciate you guys uh, joining. Any final thoughts about wrapping up this Blade Runner podcast? You know what? I it's been uh, what is it? It's celebrating. It's uh, is it? We're at thirty five, right? Thirty fifth year. Sounds about right. Yeah, and uh, I have not gotten tired of talking about this film, uh, even with all the discussion points that we've had today. Which, uh, once again, you blow me away because you've mentioned or asked questions that I never thought of before, um, which is why I love coming on this and talking to you guys. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's it, and I could talk about it longer. So yeah, it, it's just a deep film that I, I think is. Uh, just never ceases to amaze me uh, how much uh, it, it just brings back to me. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really solid film. Any final thoughts, Daryl? No, the only thing that's rolling around in my head is outside of the film. I'm just like we talked about before. I'm wondering why when they revisit all of Harrison Ford's old characters, yeah. why do they have to turn him into a deadbeat dad <laughs> every single time? Yeah. Every, the one thing you do not want in life is you do not want Harrison Ford as yeah. your dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is just bad news. Um, so with that, we'll end the podcast. Thank you so much, Mike, for joining us. Um, it was a pleasure to have you, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you on, a, on another episode coming up soon. Um, for all the rest of you out there, let us know your thoughts about Blade Runner as well. We would love to hear it, and thank you for listening.
That is it for today's podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have an extra minute, write us a review or share this episode with one of your geek friends. All right, fellow geeks, as always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch you on the next podcast.